You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hattenmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today, let's talk about some old school conditioning. When I'm saying old school, again, uh, we're, we're, we're clearly, we're talking about the uh, turn of the last century. We're talking about uh, moving from the mid to uh, late uh, 1800s on into the, up to the 20s, the 1920s. Uh, we're looking at what, uh, yeah, what some of the strong men did then, but all the physical culture. It's what the boxers and the wrestlers and the combination fighters and, uh, you know, along the way, picking up this ragtag stuff from some of the, uh, uh, the combination of rough and tumble fighters along the way. So, and again, uh, for our combination, conver- uh, our conditioning conversation, we're primarily dealing with overall broad conditioning, not where we're really dialing in and focusing on one thing. Because a lot of the strong men were looking for the biggest and heaviest lift they can get to pay, uh, you know, pay their bills and keep their mouths fed, their families fed as they, uh, you know, traveled around uh, and, you know, hitting the at-, at shows and, you know, putting big, heavy iron overhead and, you know, bending bars and all this. This is all great and wonderful. Some aspects of that will be reflected in some of what we're discussing, but primarily we're looking for the overall conditioning because we want to make sure stamina, strength, uh, pliancy are all uh, you know rolled up into one big bundle, right? Uh, we're going to use a, a term to get us going. This is actually stolen from uh, the old days of uh, steam locomotives from railroading, and it was actually a bit of parlance that we used amongst physical trainers and fighters in these early days. And it was called foaming the boiler. Again, now, foaming the boiler was an old railroad term. It's like circa the uh, U.S. Civil War. So we're looking about from uh, 1860s and forward. And the railroads originally, and this is no surprise here, they were steam-driven, right? That that is regular stops for water to fill the boilers to keep the pressure up to drive the locomotives were required. Now, water was the commodity in old railroading. It was the gasoline of its day. No easy access to water is the no-go in the locomotive, right? Now, one would think water is an easier fuel source to access than petroleum, and it was, is, but water, fuel, purity was always an issue. Here, we're just, uh, we're kind of uh, a little blind to the fact that everywhere you go, there's water purity. I mean, you just stop free water fountains, well, pre-COVID, of course, and there's, there's your water right there, and you have pill in the filling station, plastic bottles full of water everywhere you go. Turn the tap, there you go, right? Well, uh, impurity was always a problem, all right? The more impurity in the water equals less power to the boiler. You need pure water to uh, run a good locomotive and more opportunities for grit to gum the mechanism over time and thusly ruin uh, the machinery. Now, one mark of water impurity was a boiler that emitted not only steam, but the occasional plume of foam. And then sometimes it would be these, I mean, the, if it's super impure, you're going to see the, the, the foam blowing out the top and these long streamers. And sometimes it's small bubbling issues that are coming out a little bit here. But over time, this is just, uh, one, it's eating power immediately. But uh, over time, you may not be able to make that 3% grade at all. But over time, it is eating up the machinery uh, that run that locomotive. So thusly, having a foamy boiler was poor input. It means you still you had the proper engine there, but you were just killing it by what you're putting into it. So over time, this became slang. Old timers also used the phrase to signify subpar work or inefficient, actually more along the lines of inefficient work for the desired task, as in that boy is running a foamy boiler, meaning doing more work than needed or doing work that is unneeded for the task at hand. Now, you might be thinking, oh, thanks for the railroad and trivia, Mark. What does this have to do with PT conditioning? All right. Well, I'm glad you asked. The deeper we dig, the more we sift, we discover that much of what passes for good PT advice today 
is asking the combat athlete, the rough and tumble fighter, to work with the foamy boiler. I mean, sure, the engine is up and running and you're going, and which means you're showing you've got the grit and the determination to do something, but you may not be running at full smooth efficiency. Now, the old-timers, what they were looking for in their own forms of conditioning and training were to be like the locomotive. They wanted the other piece of slang to be running pure and clear. Now, obviously referring to a good water source, good railroading fuel is pure water sources. With that in mind, again, the tandem studies and self-experimentation with some of this old-school rough-and-tumble combat and archaic conditioning uh, seems to be allowing a man in his, well, that used to be, you know, late 50s. I'm 56 and a half. I'm talking like a toddler here. Uh, I mean, I'm reaping benefits far beyond what I possessed in any other time in my life. Uh, remarkable to me, at least, is these results come at a time when the current so-called science says such growth is on the decline unless one dips into pharmaceuticals. And you know, for the record, I issue supplements. I just don't do them. And it feels like a cheat and hypocrisy to old school thinking by my train of thought. It's not necessarily a moral evaluation or judgment of others who like needles and all that. It just offends my sense of moral aesthetics. But, you know, what do I know? Um, now, again, I've been codifying and experimenting these old school protocols the past two years. And again, since there was uh, no pharmaceuticals and supplements that were being used, then I just didn't want to do. I mean, that really defeats the, the purpose of the experimentation if you're using something to help yourself along there. Now, no single aspect of the material makes it pure and clear. There's just none. Well, like, uh, what's the strength training? Over here is the stamina, the separation. What's really interesting about so much of this running pure and clear is how much the concepts of old school conditioning will co-mingle with one another. But even then, to make them make sense to a lot of our later eyes, we have to kind of break them apart so it's easier for us to understand what we're looking at. And you can break them into like broad categories. For example, uh, in a joint tendon ligament or the in our unloaded program we call it the plant physique as the old timers were big on tendon and ligament integrity over mere muscular work after all no matter how big or powerful the biceps if the structural engineering and the connective joint does not match or exceed the connective structure limits injury is in the cards down the road so in a sense most of the old timers when they're doing any kind of lift or conditioning whatever they were primarily what's the joint and tendon what what's the acceptable load and work below that it was more important to make that strengthened the muscular uh the aesthetics or the strength of the muscle will follow behind that and we kind of put the cart before the horse here we're looking to go make sure we get all nice and swole and jacked we're going to go the internal uh musculature the internal engineering is really what we want to address now in the pliancy there's like 36 joint tendon ligament uh specific drills that's an unleaded one uh now to the outside observer i mean a lot of this can look like stretching but it ain't <laughs> old timers devalued stretching as a recipe for joint disaster i mean some of it can appear to be akin to yoga asanas again it's not so much uh, for by the way uh eugene sandal like who's considered the father father of modern bodybuilding again pre-needles and such take a look at that physique it's absolutely astonishing uh he visited india pretty much as a rock star or a celebrity in his day and he greatly influenced some aspects of yoga and some great historical work on that and that influence is not so much mentioned now but again what he was doing earlier isn't so much stretching or mobility exercises um this is more along the lines of a sweat popping unusual isometrics to serve as a rehab or prehab in the realm of myotatic reflexes. I mean, personally, I consider this sort of stuff as the base to work from. I mean, I hit it every morning just before the sunrise to a Ketu session. Again, late 50s, I got a whole lot of injuries to constantly warm up and, and move through here after decades of doing this dumbass job that I do. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, even when it comes down to stretching, often we're stretching ourselves into... 
uh, more injury. I want you to think about this. If you ever suffered from anything from, uh, it could be, you know, lifter's elbow, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow. It could be uh, hip bursitis, anything on down the line. Often, a lot of the solutions are given to you from mobility uh, or amateur uh, uh, physical therapists telling you to, to stretch. You're actually, this is probably, they're going to tell you this is a flexibility problem. And actually what you're doing is you've got an inflamed tendon and tendons often their connective points are over bony joints. And uh, when we have an inflamed tendon, when we start stretching, you're actually putting this inflamed uh, tendon, you're putting pressure against this bony joint and thusly keeping it more inflamed. Actually to the old timers, and this, this science is now bearing this back, it's coming full circle saying, hey, you know what, this stop stretching just please stop doing that you're keeping the inflammation on there often the way to stop something from hurting like this some of these injuries is actually still falls back into more of a strengthening of the joints tendons and ligaments and the muscles so it's actually working more with eccentric loading than it is to stretching now that doesn't mean that your pliancy and your flexibility goes away which is so strange as so many of the exercises in the old school work the unleaded work uh the the flexibility comes from doing that work in and of itself but actually sitting down going, I'm going to become more flexible may actually be to your detriment. Now, uh, the old timers also big on working with a great deal of joint stability. I mean, they put a lot of work into making sure the trunk, the soak, the core, what we'd call the core today, the trunk, but to them, this is everything. It's just not the showy bit of the abs. We're talking all the support uh, uh, structure around the spine and so on and so forth. Uh, the hips, the ball and socket joint there, and the ball and so socket joints of the shoulders. There's so many exercises there. They do not give you, have nothing to do with the squatting. It's really not so much the uh, aesthetic uh, ab work, and it's not so much the big shoulder work i mean thinking about doing big overhead presses nothing like that whatsoever just unusual exercise to make sure these remain pliant with strength uh, and also com remaining completely mobile with strength and not falsely pressing them into positions they don't need to be in like you know throwing a band on it and trying so-called you know you know you know, uh, returning something to form doesn't work. I mean, at that particular time, you had about two to five minutes of feeling like something may have occurred, but it's not actually what's going on there. Uh, now, whenever it comes to the strength, the body is broken down into, uh, whenever you're actually pursuing the strengthening portion of it, the body is broken down into six well, actually, seven broad categories. And whenever we're working the old school stuff, you have to actually work much less, which is astonishing. Uh, you, uh, uh, because you're wanting to make sure that you can keep hitting it. So many of uh, the conditioning today for the foamy boiler stuff is the workloads are so immense. There comes a point whenever you're getting diminishing returns. You're keeping the cortisol high in your body. And the old timers understood, yes, we want people to work hard. But we want to kind of work hard in, in shifts. And it's pretty much, you can see this in the, uh, the wise Russian weightlifting systems where you, they refer to training as wave training, where the myelocortona thing is a bit of a myth. Sure, stand, uh, steadily progressive loads do build to something, but there hits a point where you either plateau or you start going back down. If you're just lifting, always aiming to lift a little bit heavier each time, there comes a point where either the the, uh, the cognitive depression hits in or you hit this this plateauing period with with the body. Instead, if you want to have periods where you're able to go, this is a big day, this is a slow day, this is up and down. Now, uh, so you, now we think of it as periodization. When the, with the old school, it was happening all the time. It was very similar to what you see in the wave thing. So with the body being broken into these seven broad categories with these sliding scales of exercises, what may happen is you may be doing something in the legs that feels light, almost like a nothing exercise. You're going to be asking yourself, shouldn't I be doing something more? And the answer is always no. 
don't. You progress on to the next one. And this uh, uh, part of the body might have a maybe something along the lines with the back, maybe not the unusual pulling pull-up motion. And there's not a regular pull-up in the mix, I can assure you of that. This will have maybe a bit more of a medium load to it. And the next thing you might work off of the chest might be super <laughs> strenuous. And then the next thing coming with the shoulders might be right back to like, is this even an exercise? I mean, I feel like I can skip. I feel like I need to be doing something more. But this is where a lot of the wisdom comes in. We can kind of keep your growth going on. And there's even so-called rest built into it, even though the exercise itself is the rest, which is kind of a... Again, unusual way to look at it, but often constantly working. And again, it's back to that uh, worker who's doing the foamy boiler. It's too much input sometimes, but it doesn't mean there's no input going on. Uh, additionally, the categories can be broken up into the scatter guns and uh, uh, categories of muscle. And first, that name. What we're hearing is archaic slang for targets along the periphery. I mean, we hear echoes of this euphemism in old school prison slang. The most current usage I can find is in Paul Wade's Convict Conditioning, Volume 2, where he explains the training of the neck, grip, and calves as shotgun muscle. Uh, he explains it thusly, quote, These groups are often called shotgun muscle by the old-time prison athlete because they ride shotgun with the bigger movers, unquote. Again, the earlier iteration, we're calling it scattergun, but the same thing if you think of riding shotgun on a Wells Fargo uh, wagon. And again, you were talking about the forearms and the grip. There's much ado about making sure the, it's not just crushing grip is great, but making sure the hands and the wrists and the fingers remain uh, supple. If anyone's messed with any of the several things that can go wrong with, these, with your hands and wrist, you know, this is an aspect of strength that's often overlooked. We'll just think of small portions of grip strength and maybe doing a few uh, wrist curls and you're good to go old-timer thought is, oh no, that is not even close to being enough. Uh, obviously, you would have to work the neck, and there's more to the neck than just mere bridging. They were thinking the bridging itself, and when we really dig deep, it's just a, t it's really like only one-third of how they saw. They saw the the supporting the neck being a much larger uh, aspect than that. Uh, the other uh, third aspect of the, uh, uh, the scatter guns would be the, the with a lower limb. The, the, most people think of just calf training, but they were really big into making sure the calves, the feet, and the toes were all part of this as sort of a unity, and you got to make sure all these work together. And again, by working all these strange, tiny little areas, everything starts aesthetically, and uh, they come out bolstering one another. It's kind of a syner synergistic effect come along with it. Um, also, in this old school condition, we can find a lot what we can just call shock work, which is, as you can think of, uh, today we'll use the word plyometrics, but so much of it doesn't even uh, resemble that today. You're not going to need a plyo box for any of this old school work. There's so many of these things that a lot of them come from old, uh, you know, Plains Indian games, or we'll, we'll see, uh, there's a particular thing I'm a big fond of, just called swashbuckler jumps. And it's got nothing to do with boxes. You can get rid of all that stuff and save yourself the investment money. And there's also real low on this. There's shockingly, there's most of the shock work is uh, is low load. You don't do high repetitions. Like now when you're thinking about do 50 box jumps and over here and grab this. Again, that's anathema. Uh, I've done all those in my day. And then I find out I'm winding up with far better explosiveness and higher jumps and stuff by doing this seemingly nothing work. Initially, when you move into this experiment, it feels like I should be doing more. And you're going to find out, no, that actually might be what's hamstringing what's going on. There's a good deal about inversion work, and I think, uh, which is, you know, hand balancing, not just mere handstands and stuff. There's a good deal 
uh, to that where it's inversion balance, standing balances, and all this, uh, keeping up your proprioceptive uh, balance work going on. You know, tons of old school sundries. And uh, we could, again, could go on and on uh, with this. But primarily, the broad base is the foamy boiler is asking, it's not saying that someone is lazy. Not at all, because that's, a, that's an easy thing to fix. Whenever it says someone, I'm not getting anything done, it's because you're not doing anything. Often what we're doing, though, if you're already an active athlete, an active combat athlete, or involved in, in your training, often what's happening is perhaps the input itself has a bit of an impurity in it, and that's what's leading to the gains not happening. And often what we think of when we have the foamy boiler of this, we're not getting what we want uh, out of the program or a system, whatever you're playing with, we think we need to do more. We keep doing these additions whenever the idea might be a bit of a reduction, and more than likely to the old-timers, it's just doing smarter. You probably have the cart before the horse in many places and not working the right synergies of what's going on. And uh, I'm here to say the age of 57, well, 57, 56 and a half, 57's around the corner, is uh, you can work, uh, I've worked far less to accrue the benefits that uh, formerly I would have to work hard, 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 and then be wrecked and watch what you eat. And I'll tell you right now, folks, I do not watch what I eat at all. I dessert every day and a hell of a lot of it. Anyway, uh, this is a bit of a rambling one just to talk about foamy boilers and to make sure we understand that some of us are, that's usually the problem. It's an either-or problem. We're either not doing the work or we just might be working too damn hard. So if you're interested in this sort of approach, have a look at our unleaded conditioning programs. Uh, two of them are already available. Uh, several more are coming out uh, on a bi-monthly peer, uh, basis. Other than that, though, just keep trying to take care of yourself, guys, and uh, don't work too hard if, unless you're not working at all. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics.